Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 31st, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 40. For context, we will reread one and a half paragraphs starting from the middle of the second paragraph, beginning with, I reasoned I was not so far advanced, all the way through the following paragraph, beginning with, in this frame of mind. Continuing on, we will then pick up where we left off on Friday by reading and focusing our sharing on the first paragraph on page 41, which begins with, I went to my hotel. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the OA 12 Steps is Jason P. Reading the OA 12 Traditions is Anne Marie. And reading the text are Esther C., Helena, and Janice M. The share ID for Sunday, March 30th, is 6112. You might want to mute your line if you're not muted. Thank you. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jason P., to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning. This is Jason, recovering compulsive overeater from Vermont. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, 
made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10. Continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Jason. I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, OA group, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Anne-Marie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. 
then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 40. In the middle of the second paragraph, beginning with, I reasoned I was not so far advanced. I will ask Esther C. to read two and a half paragraphs and that we focus our comments primarily on the first paragraph on page 41 that begins with, I went to my hotel. Esther, please go right ahead. Good morning. My name is Esther C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, that I had been unusually successful in licking my other personal problems, and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident that would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks, and I began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. One day, I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a new government, to a government bureau. I had been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed, so I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty the next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did, and then came to hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. It's such a sad story. You know, it's quite an ending. I can only imagine the humiliation and suffering. Imagine being so drunk as to have to be escorted about for several days by a a strange, you know, cab driver not knowing where you are. But what, what is it that I learned from Fred's story? Well, the first thing is that even if I have what is called a high bottom, I could still be an alcoholic. I could still be a true compulsive overeater, even if I haven't suffered or done what many of the others have done. He says, um, I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows and that I had been unusually successful in licking my other personal problems. So one thing that I learned is that I don't have to have done every single thing that I, I hear from other members with their food in order to be a true compulsive overeater with the mental obsession. And the second thing I, I learned from Fred's story is that self-knowledge won't fix me. Here also um, Fred says that um, he figured that knowing what he knew would help him in the future. And that isn't, that isn't what happened. I, can't, I can know about my allergy, but I, I can't prevent, and I can even know about my mental obsession, but I can't prevent it from happening just because I know about it. And another thing that I learned um, from Fred's story so far 
is that the mental obsession, one thing I noticed in paragraph 41 is that the mental obsession doesn't announce itself in a dramatic way. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily come in a way that, that, um, that is obvious and, and dramatic to me so that I can't prevent it from happening. I mean, the thought that he had that maybe he should have a couple of cocktails with dinner is an insane thought. You know, based on his history, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insane thought. But it can be a quiet, subtle thought, and, and maybe that's why we believe it, because it didn't come as some great announcement like a billboard that says, you know, this is your mental obsession um, overtaking you, or you're about to have an insane thought, and watch out. Um, so so that is also what I learned from Fred's story, that these that it, it could be a perfect day. It could be a, a, an easy day, a good day. It doesn't have to be a, a, a day with a lot of trauma or drama, and then the mental obsession comes, and it's obvious, and we see it. It, it, it never happened to me like that. It was always some thought um, that was able to, that was quite subtle, but it was able to push aside all what I knew about my disease, and it pushed aside everything that I knew about my suffering. And it told me, you know, maybe maybe you could just do it like this this time. And, of course, it would be the beginning of a, another binge for me. And one thing that I, I, I know today is because I knew that those thoughts could be subtle when I had learned this chapter, is that if I ever think of doing something different or somehow making some adjustment in some way um, to the way I'm doing things with my food, I pick up the phone and call because oftentimes I can't see this insane thinking for what it is and I could use the help of another recovered compulsive overeater to open my eyes a bit and to say, no, that's that's crazy. Anyway, so that's what I'm learning from this paragraph and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. This is Who Judy? would like to share... I heard Judy. I just want to finish on uh, the paragraph on page 41, beginning with, I went to my hotel. Go ahead, Judy. Hi, this is Judy from uh, upstate New York. And uh, this just reminds me of my insane thinking. Um, and what I need what I need to be aware of every day is as soon as a thought comes in about picking up something, I need to ask for help from my higher power. My higher power is always there with me. So that that first thought that he had, you know, a few cocktails would be great with dinner. It's like I've had those thoughts, and now I am practicing every day, every moment, when I have a thought like that, to pause, take that sacred pause, and ask for help from my higher power, making a phone call. But uh, but I rely on my higher power first and foremost because my higher power is with me at all times. And what I what I become aware of is that um, re- I'm recovering from um, well I, I'm recovering. Um, I've been in and out of uh, the food for two years after having two years of very clean abstinence and losing a lot of weight but did not have that spiritual connection. And I have to remember who's running the show every day. So what I realized is that I, I would have the thought and then I'd have, and then I'd just let my brain go, my thoughts go crazy. I would have another thought and it was like, oh, it's not that. And, and instead of stopping those thoughts or asking for help to stop the thoughts, pausing, 
I would just let that that mind, those thoughts continue and continue and continue. So I'm really grateful that for today, I pray for the awareness. Help me to be aware of the thought. And as soon as I have that thought, pause, stop, before I then go on to the next thought, which then leads to the first bite, which then leads to me being face down in the food. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Lauren S. from Pittsburgh. Go ahead, Lauren S. Thank you. Uh, okay. Um, Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, a recovery compulsive overeater. Start the timer. Um, this was a neat paragraph for me to construct the first time I was going through it because as I watch Fred's progression of his insanity, which is simply insanity, what did they say? A lack was the definition they gave us. It was a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight, page 37. So I substituted words for my story, like um, I went to my room. I thought it'd be nice to have a couple of sweets, so I ordered a dessert. Then when I returned to my room, it struck me a milkshake would be fine, and then I stepped into a convenience store, bought several, several more desserts, plenty next morning. Um, I have a recollection of being in my bedroom, hiding, um, finding a worried friend at my door instead of a happy one. The friend talked to me for several days. I I knew little of what I said or what I ate. Then came the bedroom at night (laughs) afterwards. My story of being a compulsive overeater was I isolated from others, and I stayed in my bedroom about... I want to say about 75% of my career as a binge um, when I was actively engaging in in my addiction. The other 25% was, you know, going to stores, the bathroom, class, work, and maybe a a social event. The other 75% was really just in my bedroom, door shut, (laughs) eating. So turning this into my story isn't as, isn't as, um, public as Fred's, perhaps, you know, going into the city, seeing taxi cab drivers, and, uh, but that's okay. And what I think is important for all of us to, 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 to be united in this fellowship is that we're not trying to shock everybody and compare our greatest horror stories and prove that I'm any more of a compulsive overeater than you are. Um, we're simply trying to relate where we're all insane in a similar way when it comes to food. And uh, I think bringing those uniting, okay, I think I said what I came to say. Okay, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Would anyone else like to share? Yes, this is Gail from uh, Larry. I heard Gail, I heard Larry, and who else? Lois. Lois? Yep. Is there anyone else? Okay, Gail, you're up. 
Thank you. Wow. I'm, I relate to this very much because this is very much like me. There are times when I can be depressed and I'll go for food. I'm a Gail. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater right at the beginning stages. And what this says to me or how I related it is that everything was going well with this guy and that life, life was fine that day. And, and, and what, what he or I forget is that even in those very fine, wonderfully sunny, breezy moments of life, if I lose my connection to my higher power, then I'm lost. And I think that's the biggest thing because it it doesn't really matter what this, what it really comes down to is I'm thinking about this right now because I get really screwed up in the circumstances of my life, the vicissitudes. I mean, this is happening, that is happening, and it drags me. Instead of me uh, being prepared for the vicissitudes of life, and so when everything is going well. I still need to be prepared for that vicissitude and to be connected, to be connected to my higher power, to remember to follow directions, remember to pause what everyone is saying, and to remember to just uh, do what I said I was going to do in the morning or in the evening to my, with my sponsor. So thanks. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gail. Larry? Larry, press star one to unmute. Lois, can you hear me? Shall I? Is that Lois? Yes, this is Lois. Okay, why don't you go ahead and then we'll check on Larry after you go. Okay, sure. Uh, This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And, um, boy, you know, there's so much in these just few paragraphs that um, I'm I'm abuzz with thinking thoughts. But what I I really relate to was um, sadness. You know, this is so sad. And somebody else said that too. But, you know, this... This is a sad disease. You know, this is a very powerful, subtle, and powerful disease and created so much sadness in my life, you know, just like, in, you know, it, it will in Fred's if he doesn't re- recover. But um, what, what happened for me is I, I knew about some of the things that uh, they would, you know, this, this paragraph was showing Fred. But for me, I bet I had, I knew about the mental twist I understood it intellectually. I knew, you know, I knew about, I knew a lot. I read a lot. I studied. I sought help in books, in therapy, in many ways, because in most areas of my life, I was able to think my way out of many, many situations. I had a lot of self-will. I had a lot of willpower. But as far as my disease of compulsive overeating, I, it was like banging my head against the wall over and over again. And I wasn't able to really, I, I knew what the words meant, but I wasn't able to ingest them or digest them, whatever. 
and and what what I really what screams to me this morning was, you know, I I knew from the moment that I had an alcoholic mind, and and it wasn't until I really was able to surrender to that and accept that that I was able to understand, you know, that I, the great mind of my, what I had could not think my way out of this and I couldn't will my way out of it and I couldn't read my way out of it. That that I I had a, a mind of an alcoholic which was distorted and it would always find it was a diseased mind and it would always find a way to pick up the food. And so, you know, it wasn't until I was bleeding, I'm sure, you know, that final moment which I never want to ever forget was like a flimsy reed, and and um, I I totally knew and understood what that meant. I Lois I could not figure my way out of this. You know I needed a spiritual help. I needed God to help me, and it wasn't until I really you know brought this you know body the suffering body to uh, that conclusion that I surrendered and and I asked for help. And I really, really off, uh, meant that I needed help, that I could not do this. And it was then and only then that, you know, I knew that something had changed in me. And hopefully, you know, this will, this will uh, happen for Fred, too, in the, for, in the rest of the pages. So I had, I had many, many queer mental twists and never learned from any of them. But the final one, thank God, was, was my bottom. And if you're new and if you're coming back, you know, uh, we have so much to learn from Fred's story and other people that are sharing this morning. So um, I I wish that for you as well. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Larry, can you hear me? Are you on the line? I I can. Can you hear me okay? Sure. You're up. Okay. Yeah, my apologies. Um, Boy, technology, when it messed up, it used to... I used to have a problem with it. It's amazing how either technology has changed or I've changed. I think I've changed. Uh, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. I like, you know, reading about this. So, you know, here's Fred, and, and he says, in, in this frame of mind, you know, he was in a certain frame of mind. He just went about his business. And for a time, all went well. You know, he had no trouble refusing drinks, and he began to wonder, like I did, if I'd not been making too hard work of a simple matter. See, um, the alcoholic mind, you know, the the insanity of our disease is a very literal statement. You know, it's just that that separation from the true, from the false, I I couldn't do it. And, And understanding, you know, the thinking that precedes the behavior of a true compulsive overeater like me, you know, requires that we strip away a lot of rational thought. You know, some of it for me, like, you know, the acknowledgement um, and willingness to learn from mistakes, just to have the inability to do that. The ability to recognize obvious patterns of behavior and the application of common sense. I just had the inability to apply common sense to this issue. And so for me, that you know, the disease, just like Fred, dictates, it dictates, it mandates that I will lose these things, that I will, you know, my prognosis is not good. In fact, you know, for me, it's terminal without a higher power to rescue me from myself, rescue me from the quicksand. So you see, I I, I had distorted perceptions, 
And unfortunately, you know, I would think, act, and believe based on these distorted perceptions. There was no middle ground for me. You know, um, it's it's all or nothing. It was an all or nothing proposition here. And to varying degrees, you know, we live in denial of the facts, as Fred did. And unfortunately, you know, it's it, the, the result is the complete annihilation and destruction of ourselves in the process. And like Fred, this further um, distorts what we're able to make sense of. He couldn't make sense of, you know, all was going well for a time. I mean, all was going well for, for a time for me, but we're the best liars because we use rationalization and justification to convince ourselves that the lie is the truth. And this, for me, you know, happened subconsciously. You know, before I had a spiritual awakening, which is also quite literal for me, I was not aware that I was, you know, mind-screwing myself, for lack of a better way of putting it. You know, I, I didn't mean to. I meant well. I mean, I, I lived in a distorted world of probably, you know, like distorted promises to myself, but, you know, the possibly, maybe, woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, I, I'd like to, I should. Here's a good one that I hear all the time. You know, people like me, I would tell everyone what I need. You know, I've, I've, you know let me tell you who's, who's recovered, who's had a spiritual awakening. You know better than me, of course. But let me tell you what I need. How crazy is that? You know, and that's what I would tell one sponsor after another, what I need. Well, I, I'll tell you what I didn't need. I didn't need them because I already knew what I needed, you know, and that's the distortion of these perceptions. So um, my words, you know, meant nothing. They sounded good, but always led to disappointment, just like Fred. I I was powerless and no technique, no, um, you know, all these techniques tied into slogans and so forth are for me might work for you, but for me were outright damaging. Because I would think that I had, I could garner a little more control. Give me a slogan to attract, to run on, if you would, if you will. Give me something to tap, to tie my control to that I have more control, and I'm often running with that. That's that's the the damage of this distortion. Um, so no techniques, nothing that, you, that that I was given with great intent. I was given them, and I accepted them that gift, but none of that stopped me from binge eating for two minutes. I would try all those things. I'd try, and I would tell you again what I need, what I got to do, and I thought I was okay because I had some manageability, and I would latch on to a little bit of manageability like Fred. It's not so bad. But invariably, I would always, even if the food was down, the most, you know, the most challenging time for me, I would always go back into the food. So what happened to me? It's right there in the book. What happened to me is I, I had a spiritual awakening, a literal spiritual awakening as the result of taking these steps. It defies science. It has nothing to do with, with, with science. And I really wanted it to. But once that happened, that's the, here's the beauty of it. Once I had a spiritual awakening, the food is down, it's neutral. I'm a better person, a better father, a better, not just better. I, of course I'm better because God has done for me what I could not do for myself. And so my entire life is better, and I never thought that that would come as a result of working these stupid steps. Yes, that, that's what happened. I had a complete overhaul, complete change. 
been transformed. I don't deserve it. But nonetheless, I was given it. I didn't earn it. I just did it, and it happened. And it was thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. This is Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Kim. Leah. Kim. Rochelle, Kim, Leah. Go ahead, Rochelle. Hi, good morning. This is Rochelle, recovered in Baltimore. Um, okay, so what can I contribute to this? Um, I was not a 200-pounder, you know, and when I first came into OA and I would hear and see other people, and I'd say to myself, I only have about 30 pounds to lose, 25 pounds, 30 pounds. I'm not sure. I'm a, I am a compulsive overeater. I mean, this is weird. I mean, these people have all this weight to lose. I, I don't think I'm one of them, you know. And uh, nevertheless, I stuck with it. And, and But the question would arise from time to time, am I really a compulsive overeater? I don't seem to have it the way these other people have, which is reminding me of the story that we, we were reading this morning. But And I stuck with it, and, and thank God I've had the spiritual change. I stuck, stayed with it long enough. And uh, and I intend to stay here the rest of my life. But but uh, the question then arises: What am I dealing with? Well, I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a subtle foe. And just like he was feeling good, and he decided, oh, you know, I'll have uh, I'll have a eyeball. You know, well, it can't hurt me. I'm not like those other guys. You know, I think I got this lick. Well, in a different sense, um, someone had said something about French fries. You know, and I have French fries in my freezer. And I said to myself, I run a business, and I don't have time to take the potatoes and cut them up and put them on a sheet and spray it with Pam and put it in the oven. And I'm working on deadline. I looked at the French fries, and they only had uh, a little a little bit of oil, and I baked them. Okay, no problem. They were right. I weighed, measured. Well, one day I forgot to look at the brand that I took, and it was not the same brand as what I usually had. And I had those French fries, and I said to myself, oh, these are really good. And then I had them again, you know. And uh, and at some point, I heard someone say something about French fries, and I and I looked at the ingredients, and lo and behold, they had dextrose. I knew what that was. I knew what that was, and I suddenly understood. Oh, no wonder they taste so good. You know, my body was paying attention, even if I my mind was not. You know, and. Um, Recently, and, and I, I got rid of them. I got rid of them. Thank God I didn't go off the deep end. And uh, it made me an even cleaner person to check what is. And when people say, you're eating French fries, what are you talking about? You know. And, um, and recently, I had a, another product. It had nothing to do with French fries. It was all vegetables. And usually I would make this product myself, and I would eat it, you know, like uh, mash it, eat it, no problem, weigh it. But I thought in the store, hey, this is a convenience item. I read the ingredients carefully. No sugar, no wheat, no anything I can't have. Well, I had it on the weekend, and my body was really paying attention. It was saying, oh, this is really good, you know, and then I had some company come over, and uh, and I found my mind saying to me, I hope they don't go into my refrigerator and take that product because I want it. And when I heard that thought, I said to myself, I don't know what's in it, but there's obviously something that my disease really likes, and I can't have this. And and that's what I'm talking about. This is a subtle foe, and we've got to pay attention. My story may be different from everybody else's out there, but it doesn't matter. It's the same disease with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Kim? 
Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So this reminds me of Jim's story when suddenly the thought came to him that an ounce of whiskey wouldn't hurt him as long as it was in a glass of milk. So this is the thoughts that come into our head. And if we expect that OA is supposed to help us when the thought comes, we are going to live a life, at least my experience is, I'm going to live a life of temporary respite. Because you have to remember, Jim and Fred have both been exposed to the truth. AA has, has come in, Bill and Bob and the first 100 have come in and they've explained to him his problem, they've explained to him his solution, and they've explained to him about this course of action. And they have not continued with the steps. So they thought, this reminds me of the years in OA that I lived in steps 1, 2, and 3. 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. And we read earlier on 40 that he was self-confident because he was only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. That's my experience of living in steps 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to wait till the thought comes, and then I'm going to make a phone call. I'll wait till the thought comes, and I'll call my sponsor. I'll wait till the thought comes, and I'll say a prayer, or I'll, or I'll go to a meeting. And we're going to see whether we've, we've lost everything like Jim, or... With Fred, the best day happened. If we are going to be thinking that our program is about waiting till that thought happens and we're going to be cognizant enough to dismiss that thought, we're just going to pick up. Because what are we told on page 25, 24, I'm sorry? The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons either through, have lost, lost the power of choice in drink. Our so called willpower becomes practically non existent. We are unable at times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. So that's the commonality I see here. Jim and Fred have both been exposed to AA. They've learned some information. They think that information is enough. They think staying on guard and willpower is enough. And when when the, the thought struck Fred and the suddenly thought came into Jim, they think that is enough. That's enough defense. And we are seeing over and over again in this chapter, because this is not a chapter about people who are in the food and can't get out. This is a chapter about people who are sober and choose to pick up. So if I look back at my history, isn't that my history? I would go to meetings and say, thanks for the information. I would make phone calls and they say, thanks for the information. And I thought that information was enough. And I would stay on guard and use willpower. And when the thought came, I thought that having that thought, I could ask God into that thought. And maybe that works for you. Because I have to tell you, it worked for me for years. But I am a compulsive overeater. And eventually, that didn't work. And let me tell you, as walking through these steps, as having a spiritual awakening, as, as, as making these steps a part of the fabric of my life, I don't have those thoughts. The obsession has been removed. That is what I found when I heard people say recovered. I didn't want to have to be on guard waiting for that thought to happen and try to remember what is the human aid that I can use to remove that thought. What I found is when I walked through these 12 steps and I had a spiritual awakening and I had a connection with God, the thoughts were removed, removed. I don't walk around today tortured by the food 
hoping to have the strength to not pick up today. I walk around today with asking God how I can be useful to him and my fellows. I have no thoughts of, of my binge foods. And I go to bed at night happy, relaxed, and joyous because my day was not tortured with be on guard for that thought, be on guard for that thought, be on guard for that thought. So if you want to read that line again, after dinner I decide, oh sorry, after dinner I decide to take a walk. When I return to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. If you don't want to have to wait for that thought, I implore you to work these steps. And my experience and the experience of 78 years with why this text hasn't needed to be changed is that thought will be removed. After the 12th step, you will have a connection with a higher power and you will no longer want to eat. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Leah, Leah, I mean. Sorry, you're next. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Much appreciated your service. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, as I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. Um, Joe and Charlie used to always add, you know, it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails uh, with dinner and go back to the hospital. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, I learned so much from uh, rereading this. Um, you know, the big book is trying to teach a lot here. I mean, first of all, it teaches that uh, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a low-bottom case like Jim who, you know, lost uh, his job and, you know, his family and, and uh, you know, things were really deteriorating at a rapid pace or a high-bottom case like, like Fred over here. Um, you know, what makes a, a compulsive overeater, what makes a real alcoholic in their case is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. What makes a real compulsive overeater in our case is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. So it doesn't matter whether you're a high-bottom person, you know, you haven't sunk to some of the depths that uh, some of us have, or uh, a low bottom, um, we are com real compulsive overeaters if you have those two components. I also, uh, you know, am taught here that, um, you know, I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, a mental twist, not emotional. I have a mental quick twist, this strange, peculiar way, peculiar way of thinking about food that is different from normal people, and it forces out any thoughts to the contrary. That's what's happening here to Fred. You know, he thought it would be nice um, to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. What the heck? I mean, come on, Fred. You know, you are obviously an intelligent uh, man here, why are you not learning from your consequences, um, Fred? Don't you remember you were just in the hospital? I mean, what is going on with your mind? I mean, obviously your mind was well enough that you were able to uh, go to Washington and present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. Your mind is, is operating in that capacity, but somehow when it comes to the drink, you know, when it comes to booze, um, he cannot connect the dots. He's going to continue to repeat this behavior, expecting different results, not learning from his previous experience. You know, essentially his mind is being hijacked uh, by the obsession. 
And I relate to that. You know, the book tells me that, uh, you know, we are people who who have this obsession, this idea that somehow, some, someday, we're going to be enjoy, able to enjoy our, our drinking, our eating, you know, and that's our great obsession. And, and I relate to that because, like it or not, like Fred, my mind persuades myself that I can be normal. That's what it is. It's not that I'm emotionally deficient. I may very well be emotionally deficient, but ultimately the common thread of all those things is that I say to myself, oh, I can do this now, just like Fred. I can have a couple of cocktails. I'm different. My experience no longer informs me of who and what I am. The fact that I've been unable to, let's say, eat ice cream without getting a phenomenon of craving and continuing to binge my brains out um, is irrelevant to the fact that right now I'm not like that anymore. That's the illusion. You know, Fred has had an experience with cocktails before. In fact, it landed him in the hospital. But right now he's not like that anymore. And that's the illusion. And that's the mental obsession. And that is the insanity. That's the definition of insanity, a belief in a reality that isn't true. So Fred, like myself, was living on the assumption of things that simply aren't true. What is the program of recovery? The program of recovery is the steps. The program of recovery (laughs) takes away the mental obsession, drives it out, removes it, and substitutes for that mental obsession of spiritual awakening. So that my mind is restored, so that my mind no longer locks in on the sense of ease and comfort that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails before dinner. And that process is called recovery. And that's what this is about, implementing the steps to be recovered, driving out. The big book suggests we have a defective mind. We're suffering from an obsession like Fred. One idea enters our consciousness and dominates it in such a way that all other ideas are shoved aside, and the obsession becomes the only reality. Well, the program of recovery transforms my mind so that I'm no longer dominated by this thought, and instead I'm dominated by God, a higher power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Uh, this is Kim. Hello, Rebecca. Rachel, Hi, this is Rachel. Rachel, I hear you, but there was someone speaking before good, you, good. a female voice. Wait. One second. Who was uh, that before? Karen. Karen. And then Rachel. And then a male voice. Ed. Ed. Yes. Okay. If we have time, we're we're coming uh, close to the end of our time, but we'll start with Karen and see how it goes. Go Hi ahead, Karen. My name is Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm grateful to be here this morning and uh, to be able to uh, share in this reading. And uh, for me, Fred is powerless. He's powerless. He's defenseless. And he's godless. It's as simple as that. I'm fully aware of this today. I'm the same way. And the only thing I can do on a daily basis is to spend time with God 
meditate, find out what he wants me to do today, what's the plan today. My whole dependence goes on him. And um, and I have to listen. And then if things happen, that my connection, my everything is with him. There's no I, I, I. This is a we program. And yes, at this point, he is um, in the mental obsession. My, If I get scared, my mental obsession can kick in at any time. And, um, and I have just kind of walked through something very difficult for myself maybe a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm very grateful to have come on the other side of that. And the only thing that I could do was pray, pray, make a decision, and then pray about it. And, of course, I talked to my sponsor and actually a number of people who had, quote, recovered. And, um, but for me, it was um, I had to get to that point. It's simply, it's, this is our only defense, is a faith in a higher power. I was brought up a religion, and I'd heard this and heard this and heard this for years, decades. And I could not do it. I couldn't transition to a higher power. And until I was actually led by a person who, who, who um, structured the steps, that I didn't know this was going to actually lead me to a higher power, uh, but that I had to do the work, and um, I really didn't get it. Work? What is that? Think? What is that? I had other people doing my work, my thinking for me my whole life, so this was, I couldn't even comprehend it at that time, but today I'm very grateful and um, that I, that I um, have a faith in God and that I just have to every day spend time with God to continue to build my um, relationship with him so I can continue to enlarge upon the positive versus the negative because now I'm aware of what negative does because the minute my fear kicks in, the negative starts, the worry, the this, the that. I don't want to go there. So I'm just grateful to be able to share, and um, thank you for uh, listening. Pass. Thank you, Karen. Raquel, could I share? I don't think so. I'm sorry. We've got two people in line, and we're about to close. Raquel? Okay. Raquel, we don't hear you, honey. Okay, Ed, do you want to go next, and we'll try to get Rachel next time? Ed, can you press star one to unmute? Hello. Oh, never mind, Ed. Rachel, we hear you. Okay, Ed, Ed, I'm going to have you hold off because Rachel is on now. Go ahead, Rachel. I didn't know it just muted on me without me doing anything. I, I enjoyed so much listening to everybody. Um, I wanted to to share about in, in the same line of replacing the the self the the self centeredness with with the God centeredness. Uh, nobody opened the book for me the way that that all you lovely people are doing now. But now that I've been a while on the vision, I I just remembered reading this part. I went to the hotel leisurely and dressed for dinner. And how this thought just snuck up on him that he, just so nonchalantly to pick up 
uh, a long time ago, I, I, I don't know if it's a trick or it's the real thing, that I started telling myself, you know, like um, making this ridiculous, making it ridiculous for me to pick up because the thing I wanted to pick up when I could not handle being inside my own skin and within the confines of the world's realities and then it became too much for me and I wanted to pick up. And whatever it was, I would say to myself, uh, say, you know, it was a handful of something that um, I don't know that we mentioned the foods or not, but I would say to myself, like I'm bowing down to this thing and asking it to do for me what? To do for me what God can't? Be it a, a, any kind of food, you know, and I would make myself say these words to myself, oh, holy, whatever, canst thou do for me what God cannot, please relieve me and rescue me from this obsession that this thing is going to make me feel better or that, or from the obsession that uh, if, if I have that, you know, uh, nothing is going to happen to me that already happened a million times. Um, and, and that, you know, sometimes would bring me some a laugh and some relief because because it was my way of staring the disease in the eyes, having it sit in the palm of my hand and looking at at it, looking at the disease in the palm of my hand and saying, is this what you want to trick me into? To think that you can do for me whatever food you are, what God cannot? Come on. And sometimes it helped, I have to admit. Sometimes it helped. And nowadays, you know, I'm very grateful for for the amount of abstinence and recovery, thank goodness, that I have. But I know that it's a daily reprieve and that the definition of a reprieve is the postponement of a death sentence. So uh, I want to live and to be among you and to see other people recover. And it's great, you know, God is doing for, for me now after all these 35 years in program, this last five years, three months, two weeks, and six days is a different story. Thank you so, so much for letting me share, and I pass. Hello? I'm sorry. Thank you, Rachel. I was muted. Um, it's Thanks. Ed's turn. Well, I, just, uh, I just wanted to say that I've been in and out of the rooms. This is Ed from New York. I've been in and out of the rooms for 40 years, and I I never hit enough of a bottom. Uh, hopefully, I have now. And uh, what I what I see is that if I felt well, I thought I was well. Feeling good, I would feel like I was powerful. And then, and therefore, I had no. I didn't. I didn't see that I carry a compulsive mind. And so when my mind would shoot out thoughts of craving or I want that or, or, or my mind would even just not even think. I'd just be walking at 1 o'clock in the morning and, and, and like it says today, have had a, having had a wonderful day, find myself in the deli eating something I don't want. And uh, hopefully this time is different. Uh, I see that it's all or nothing because the mind uh, uh, as my higher power uh, will always crop up, 
and and lead me down the wrong path. And so I am willing today uh, to go through all the steps and uh, to live from my higher power's mind, not my own. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. This is Rebecca, a recovered compulsive overeater in Connecticut, and I just want to thank everyone for all their insights into this paragraph. I know we didn't get very far in the reading, but it was just so rich and so many people wanted to share, and I know we didn't get to everyone. Um, I, too, can relate to Fred. Um, I didn't think that I was that bad, and I thought that some self-knowledge, you know, learning from people in the program would be enough for me, and it was very difficult for me to admit from the tips of my toes to the top of my head that I am a compulsive overeater and always will be. And even today, when I'm free of the addiction because I'm working these steps as if my life depended on it, and I get to be be able to relax and take it easy, the thought does cross my mind on occasion. I begin to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. And by the grace of God, I have been given all of you who have come before me and have shown me that 20 years later, you still have to come on this line every day and admit you're a compulsive overeater lest you ever forget. And I know I have to do the same thing too every day, every minute of every day if necessary for the rest of my life. And without you, there would be no me. I'd be dead in this disease. And without me, I guess there'd be no you. So together we um, read this book and we learn from the examples and um, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to um, moderate this meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Um, we need Helena to read on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Go ahead, Helena. Helena in New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 